This is Corey Brim from Glassing, and you're listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. This is Keith. And Tommy. And we're back with the official second episode of The New Scene. Tommy, now that our episode with Andrew is up and this thing is rolling, I have to say it feels much, much, much more real and exciting. Oh, absolutely. I think the other thing is, is like the new car I'm driving is amazing. So, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. We're living the life over here. No, it's uh, the day of the launch. I didn't eat. I, I was up till two in the morning getting stuff ready. I was just so keyed up. I, I barely slept. I barely ate all day Friday. I was glued to social media. We were taking care of things and fixing things. It was a it was a tour de force ride of epic proportions. I slept. That <laughs> you slept. Well, at night, at two o'clock in the morning, I'm fucking asleep every night. Like I'm asleep by nine thirty every night. Like <laughs> unless it's now and we're recording. Like I'm asleep. You're living the life, man. You you just go to sleep and wake up. And did you think about the show on Friday at least? Yeah. No, of course I thought about it, but uh, well, you it, didn't lose any sleep or meals over it. No. Wow. No. What do you think that says about us, Tommy? Uh, I think it says that you're a lot more invested in this <laughs> than I am. No, I think it says that, uh, I think it comes down to like, it's an attitude I have a lot about a lot of things in life. I tend to take things moment to moment and I don't, I try not to dwell on something that's bothering me. So if something's bothering me, I just go, okay, this is how I'm feeling. This is the feeling that's arising from this at the moment and then move on. Well, that's a healthy attitude. I worry about everything all the time, but that's just the way it goes. But listen, folks, I have to break in here to say that we have a great guest on the show tonight. The new scene takeover continues with Scott Krause of Earth Crisis. I'm very excited to talk to Scott. You know, Earth Crisis has done so much. Firestorm Tommy, I would say, is the the ultimate straight edge song. Of all the straight edge songs I listen to, that one gets me the most pumped up. In terms of like when I think of like breakdowns, there's you know Rain and Blood from Slayer, like that's well, the that's one that's metal. A, yeah, but that's the metallic thing. The metallic version of it in terms of hardcore is Firestorm. Yes, it's the equivalent of like as soon as you hear it, it's that immediate hair stands up on your arms. Yes, let's fucking go like that exactly. that hype kind of thing. And I I hadn't heard anything like that prior to earth crisis like nothing from hardcore got me that excited yeah so we're really excited to talk to scott we're gonna talk about the history of earth crisis we're gonna talk about the return of the california takeover lp that's coming out it's gonna be awesome but there's lots of music news to cover as well tommy first yes let's talk about some new music now first we're going to talk about the new lp from hammock yes it's called elsewhere tommy i would say Hammock are my favorite artists out of anybody. Are they yours too? Who are yours? Do you have one? I think I think it's between Hammock and Caspian. All right. So I love that we're on point with this. Yeah. Hammock has a new LP. It's amazing. I listened to it three times over the weekend, Tommy. You know what? I need we need to get them on the show, Tommy. I need to find out what's going on with these guys. Some of these song titles, and this is why they're my favorite band. 
because look at some of these song titles heavy laden afraid to go home dying alone (laughs) in the empty space you used to breathe what you need isn't there what happened i need to know what happened to these guys I just need, I need to talk to them. I will say that I know the one LP is dedicated to one of the people in Hammock's uh, sister had a a young son pass away. Yes. And so a lot of this, honestly, I think this is the thing that I always come back to with Hammock is they're the soundtrack for the saddest slash happiest movie I've ever seen or never seen. Like it, it, like I, when I'm listening to it, I get this really deep emotional feeling that I, the same way I connect with a film. Like when I watch movies like life is beautiful or ghostbusters, (laughs) like like (laughs) something that I connect with and I go, fuck, that's amazing. Like that's the same feelings I've had or the same, you know, it, it connects with me on a very deep emotional level. And they pick the right track to start with for sure. Like that opening track is fucking unreal. It's the, it's everything I love about hammock. It's the low level keyboards and that kind of like ambient sound. And then the guitar parts slowly make their way in and they become the basis of the kind of like whatever you, I guess you would call the chorus of that song. It's amazing. They are an emotional tour de force. I was listening to the record and I was really, really sad. And then I was really, really happy. And I was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? But I love it. Favorite song, Tommy, which one? Okay, so I have three written down. I have Before. Yeah. On the Way Out of No Way. Yeah. Future Past. Yes. Not Someday. Someday is good, but I feel like... Okay, so it was a toss-up between... I actually had Ineffable and I had someday written down as four and five, but I feel like future past just kills me in that. Like it hits my heart. Like there's like a really weird thing with hammock that it touches your soul, like in a way that a lot of music doesn't do. Someday is my favorite track. I listened to it a million times over the weekend. Yeah. So hammock congrats on the release of elsewhere. Excellent band. We hope to speak with you someday. Also, I love the no hype release, meaning like there wasn't like hammock is coming out with a new album on and then, you know, release date such thing. It was just like, hey, there's a new album from hammock. Like it was just there. Yeah, they just kind of slide them to you. I like that. I love that. And of course, glassing twin dream out this past Friday, 115. Dude, I listened to that again. I do this thing where I'll listen to an album and drop all my favorite songs into my playlist for that year i didn't really do that for this one because i would have just put the entire album into the playlist yes (laughs) but uh i have to say my favorite two song punch on the record is where everything is still into true north yes yes so i don't know if you kind of picked up on this but the first part of the album is very not ambient but it's less heavy and then, like from song uh, from Doppler all the way through, um, at long last, it is heavy. Like it hits that real, like okay, here's the main part. We build on this, and then the crushing section that just comes in. You're like, you know what? I just I really love their sound. I love everything about them. And I got my email today from Bandcamp that's saying, hey your sweatshirt got email or your sweatshirt got mailed today. So I am super hyped on getting that one. 
Awesome. I spent money on something. What's up, Keith? Well, they don't have used glassing merch. So you could you find have to- I, I found one on eBay. Somebody was trying to sell a shirt. <laughs> it was the wrong size, though. It was a small. <laughs> All right. I went to a show last night, Caspian <sighs> and Holy Fawn at Brooklyn Made. Brooklyn Made is a new venue in the Bushwick section of Brooklyn. And man, it, Bushwick is like where everything is going on now, apparently. That's where the whole music scene got pushed. There's so many bars and giant outdoor spaces and warehouses and all this stuff. That seems to be where all the music went once it got pushed out of Williamsburg. That's an amazing show, though. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Hey Baby was the the first performer. I did not make it in time for that because I had to stop to eat. My apologies. Holy Fawn played second. They were unbelievably good. The last time I saw them was fall of 2019 at St. Vitus. And they've really grown a lot since then. They've put out some new music. They just crushed it. They sounded perfect. I love the band. I I really don't have a bad thing to say about them. I was going to say, that's one of the only bands that I know that you actively wear their merch. Yeah. Like, that's a whole, when I saw you last time, you had a Holy Fawn shirt. Not last time, but like when you were at my house, you had a Holy Fawn shirt with you. Yeah, I'm very particular about clothing, as you know, Tommy. So... <laughs> Not many bands make it through the through the gate. I'm not particular, so whatever you want, send it my way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on with the review. Caspian, Tommy. Caspian. Yes. They headlined, and they brought the house down. Great set. They, they brought the trilogy back, Tommy, into the set. Oh, really? Yes. I did not expect that. Have you ever seen Caspian? I have not. No, wow. I've never seen Caspian. Yeah, I've seen, I've probably seen them at least 10 times by now. Wow. I was thinking about it while I was watching them last night. I was like, first time I saw this band was in 2004. It's crazy. I think there's only a handful of bands I've seen 10 times. So yeah, Caspian were great. Holy Fawn were great. It's funny being at the show, like people are such messes. There was this guy who I think was drunk and he just kept yelling annoying stuff the whole time. And I was like, oh, that used to be me. (laughs) And then there were these there were these two girls at the show, and one was clearly very, very, very inebriated. Oh no! Like she could barely stand up. I don't know if she was high or drunk or both, but her friend kept pulling her up to the front, and the girl could barely stand. And then her friend hands her another full drink, and uh. I was like, I wanted to be like, do you really think she needs that? Yeah, like, <laughs> like, like, did she hand her a beer? Or did she? Yeah, hand- like a full beer. Oh. Jesus. And she was like standing up unconscious, basically. And I, I was just like, man, people are such wrecks here. Like, this used to be me. I actually don't ever remember being at shows with you where it was like a problem. You didn't go to enough shows with me then. Who knows? Maybe maybe I just covered it up a lot. I don't know. I don't know. There were there were times where it was bad. Yeah, I don't ever remember you being like, uh, like that kind of like, ooh, okay. Like that ugly <laughs> kind of drunk or that ugly kind of high where you're like, oh no, this person's a problem. I, I don't remember that, but not saying that it didn't happen. <laughs> Definitely sure. happened at some points. But yeah, the venue was cool. The lighting was unbelievably good. I had to cover my eyes a couple times because there was these intense flashes and I was afraid I was going to have a seizure or something, but great venue, great bands. Glad I went. And Tommy, I feel like I'm getting back to my roots, you know, like I'm going to shows again, I'm seeing bands again, and I'm like firing songs off to you to listen to, like outside of 
you know, just outside of the normal stuff we listen to, I'm sending you random songs that come up. Uh, so I wanted to ask you a question. Yes. All the years of me sending you songs, did you ever get annoyed? Like, I know I've gone through different phases, and there was like one summer where I was getting really into rap and sending you a bunch of songs. Did you ever get annoyed or think like, oh, another song to listen to? Uh, okay. <laughs> So yes, <laughs> I did get annoyed with the, I got the juice, the juice world ones, like where it was like, okay, I got juice world. And then it was like, after like the fifth or sixth one, I was like, okay, I get it. Like, but I feel like a lot of the songs sound the same to me. Yeah. And after the, it's kind of like the, uh, you know, like the meme they do with her. It's like after someone says, okay, crazy, that's crazy, that happened, and the person's still talking. (laughs) Like, it was like, okay, I've had a a kind of, like, non-plus reaction to pretty much everything you've sent me. Why are are you still sending me things? However, you sent me that one that, on Saturday, Captured Moments. Yeah. Fucking awesome. Yeah. Really, really good. So Juice World was the only one that I went overboard on? I think so. On everything else, everything else, you know what you actually, you sent me a while ago and I just refound. Remember Datura? Yeah. Dude, that is such a fucking great band. They're unbelievable. I, I still go back and listen to them. Let's check out Datura. They're a post-rock band. And Captured Moments. Yes. Collapse Under the Empire. Wait, yes. Collapse Under the Empire is the band. Captured Moments is the song. Oh, yeah, my bad. I actually, it's hard on uh, Spotify. I'm still getting used to the format. Yeah, I just had to correct myself. So So there it is. There's our music update. But now we're going to talk to Scott Krause of Earth Crisis. Enjoy. All right, folks, we're here now with Scott Krause. Scott, welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for having me. Absolutely, Scott. We're very excited that you're here. We're going to cover the history of Earth Crisis. We're going to cover the return of the California Takeover LP. That's coming up. But first, Scott, I have to know, how are you doing today? Not bad. Not bad. It's been pretty good. Weather's been nice, so I can't complain. Where do you live, Scott? Uh, I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. Oh, nice. Yeah. So how cold does it get in winter there? Not very. I mean, you know, it'll it'll snow occasionally, but it lasts maybe like a day. So, I mean, on a cold day, you're probably like... 30, but on average, you know, 50s, I'd say in the winter time. So it's not like Syracuse. No, 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 not, not even close. Yeah, not even close. You're familiar with, with Syracuse, I take it? I played lacrosse in high school and college. So I played in a couple tournaments up in Syracuse. And uh, one time we got snowed in. And I remember being like, I have never seen snow like this yeah. in my entire life. Yeah. It was 30 inches in the course of like two days. And I was like, and everybody else was like, oh, this is normal up here. I'm like, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> this is this is outstanding. Like, this is a blizzard. Yeah, it's pretty wild. It's, yeah, you get lake effect snow pretty seriously up there. And I, I don't miss it. No, I don't miss living like that. <laughs> I, I understand a lot of the anger in the music of Earth Crisis, having yeah. to deal with those uh, Syracuse winters. It's funny because, yeah, moving moving away from there, and I li- I've lived in a, a, quite a few places. I've been I was in California for twelve years, and uh, Pennsylvania, and yeah, it's a and I and I say this because it's in me as well, but it's a special kind of uh, anger that take, <laughs> that that takes place in Syracuse and I do I do blame a lot of it on the weather. Understandable. Yeah. My sister lives up there. I've been up there and it's it's isolated. 
You yeah. got the lake effect snow. There's a there's a lot to deal with. Yeah, and it's you know even if you're not dealing with the snow, it's uh, overcast. I think there's on average 65 sunny days a year, so 300 days a year you you don't really have sunshine. It's it's a lot of the same kind of uh, depression and effects that you know like places like Seattle and places like that get. So uh, what's your setup down there in Raleigh, Scott? You married, you got kids? Yeah, all of the above. I, I, I'm married and I have two kids. I have a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old. And uh, yeah, it's just living life. You know, it's good. Oh, that sounds nice. Tommy's a parent too. Yeah. Yeah, so I have twin 7-year-olds that'll be eight at the end of this month. On wow. Actually, on Thanksgiving this year, they'll be eight. Wow. And then I have, I have a two-year-old that just turned two in October. Oh, excellent. So yeah, you're in the thick of it because you got that, that you, if you have one under three, that's when things are, I think, at the most stressful. Yes, it is. <laughs> Every day is an adventure and yeah. an adventure in the most stressing type of way. Like, yeah. uh, I think the biggest thing for me is when we got the twins out of diapers, I remember going to bed one night and being like, I'm so happy. Yeah. <laughs> like, I hadn't yeah. been that happy in years. I'm like, yeah. It's this just, is the nicest thing in the world. Yeah. You cross like the smallest mountain and you're like, I've done it. I, it we're done. We're in the clear, you know? And we, my, my wife and I noticed that, um, and this is, I mean, sad, I suppose, but there's a lot of people they're, they, they d- tend to divorce right around the age or before their kids turn three years old. And we yeah. always, and we always say like, oh, you just, you got to stick it out one more year. You know, if you just, if you just stuck it out one more year, things get so much easier. Cause I mean, we, you know, we, we noticed ourselves having a lot of problems and stuff around that age. And, and I think a lot of it is just, it's, it's an anxiety that I think uh, it's hard to describe that you get, you know, when you have young kids. I actually, I was saying this to uh, a, a girl. I, I'm, I'm a teacher uh, by trade, and I actually had a girl I work with was like, I was thinking about having kids. I'm like, okay, so come home from work, go on YouTube, and just get a just get a sound of a baby screaming. And she's like, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, just do that for three hours. And she's like, but that seems like a long time. I'm like, that's not a long time. No, yeah. <laughs> just do three hours. And see how you feel. Yeah. And she's like, well, that is it really like that? I'm like, some days, some days it's amazing. And the the kids are so fun and they're cuddly and they're amazing. And all they want to do is eat snacks and hang out with you and play outside. And there's other days where they are just, you give them the wrong color cup. And that is the worst thing you've ever done in your life. You're like, here's your cup. And they're like, no, pink. And I'm like, oh. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot of extreme up ups and downs it, it, it's it's hard to navigate for sure you, you, you figure it out you figure it out just about the time that it's over you know <laughs> oh yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> so scott did you grow up in syracuse i did yep yep and i le- i i lived there until earth crisis stopped the first time around when we played our quote unquote last show in in like 2000 um and then my wife and i um it was kind of her turn at that point. She had kind of been putting a lot of things on hold until I guess I was going to be a little bit more stable and be home. So she was waiting to get a, her graduate degree. So as soon as as soon as Earth Crisis kind of paused, she went to grad school. So we moved out to California. So yeah, I lived there until I was I don't even know. Uh, it's hard to hard to do the the math quick until about two thousand. <laughs> until about two thousand. Yeah. So maybe uh, mid twenties or something. Well, I was born in seventy five, so twenty about yeah about twenty five, twenty six, something like that. That makes sense. Yeah. So let's talk about your musical trajectory a bit. Have you always been into music? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was a big part of my life. My mom was really young when she had me. Uh, she, uh, she was 16 years old when she had me. So she was still really into like, you know, teenage years. And so there was a lot of music, a lot of records and stuff at growing up. So that's really where I got a lot of my love for music. I mean, my mom was a teenager, still really kind of into music at the time. So, right. So did you start playing guitar young? I did, but but then I paused. I, I started taking lessons around seven and it was just super, you know, it, it's the same story as so many people. It was boring stuff, you know, the basics. I, I wanted to to jump in and play Van Halen stuff. And, you know, <laughs> and, and the guy was teaching me these like, you know, just really boring one string at a time stuff. And I took lessons for about a year. And then the guitar just kind of sat in my closet until I was about 12. And then I started really... I just kind of self-taught at that point. Yeah, I did the same thing. I got a guitar and I took lessons and I just, you know, I just wasn't really into it. And I don't know, something just happens where you kind of will yourself into learning what you want to learn. Yeah, and that's what it was. I I was, you know, it was like Metallica tablature books. I was like, well, I want to learn how to do that. So I just bought some, I bought a Metallica tablature book. I think it was Master of Puppets. And I just sat down and just pounded away at it until... I remember one day my my stepfather came in. He was walking by and he he opened the door and he was like, "That actually sounds like something, you know." <laughs> wow. Like, yeah, and I was like, "All right, I'm on to something, you know." Somebody recognized that this was actual music that I was working on, you know. You know it's a great compliment if they're saying, "Hey, that actually sounds like something and not would you stop playing that damn thing?" Yeah, yeah. I I got to say they were very very cool about that stuff. Like my stepdad played drums and so we had a drum set in the basement and we trashed it, you know, early on trying to do bands. We, my friends came and I came over and they were always really supportive. They were never the parents that were telling you to be quiet or anything like that. So So were you a metal guy first? I think so. Yeah, yeah, I was. I mean, it was sort of like hard rock stuff like Van Halen and ACDC and stuff like that. And then, yeah, I guess that navigated to to Motley Crue, but it was all like such like a quick, you know, like th- that year of your life. I mean, you look back, you look back on it now and you realize like that was like a year. It was like so formative and it felt like way longer than a year, but it was like, I got into Van Halen, ACDC. Then I started listening to like Motley Crue. And then from there, I feel like it was a quick transition into like, punk rock stuff like dead Kennedys and, and bands like that. So I think that all really happened in the, in the co- a very short period of time, you know? Yeah. I'm curious about people's trajectory. Cause you know, I was all over the place, top 40 rap to alternative to a brief new metal phase straight into the most crazy metallic hardcore you've ever heard. Yeah. Me, me too. I, I mean, I loved like, I loved Michael Jackson. I mean, like, you know, when I, when I was a kid, like thriller came out, you know? So it was like, everybody had that and we all listened to it all the time. And so, but we would stay up too and listen to, um, there was a channel called 93Q and they had 93Q club beat on Friday nights. And that was where they played like really underground, like hip hop stuff. So we all like that too. So I, I really appreciated all sorts of stuff, but I, I would say, I, I, you know, most of my, you know, my foot was firmly planted in like metal mainly. I mean, it was mostly like thrash stuff like Testament and Metallica and Sacred Reich and Nuclear Assault and bands like that. So when you started playing, were you playing in hardcore bands first or more metallic stuff? First thing we did, we just played covers. And I think Misfits was like, it was doable. It was attainable. You know, like we were like, we could play these songs, you know? So we, we got it like four or five friends together and we would go down in, in my friend's basement and just work on some misfit songs until we got our, 
got brave enough to maybe try like some Metallica songs and stuff like that. But it was a lot of covers and Ian who plays bass in uh, earth crisis. He, he was one of those friends that when I was young, he would come over and play the covers with us. So that was my first, you know, he was, I've been playing with him for longer than anybody since I was probably, yeah, like 12, 13 years old. So tell us about your early days of going to shows. I mean, Syracuse is legendary for that time for the scene and the shows. What were some of your first experiences? I came into the hardcore scene like at the perfect time because like, right, like, you know, the, the generation right before me, it was like few and far between punk rock shows, not very well attended. Um, they never had a stable venue. They were always at like a VFW hall, which would get closed down and they would try another place. But I came in right um, at the time that um, DJ Rose and John McKegg started booking shows and they were more uh, frequent and consistent. Like they were doing monthly shows, you know, I mean, it, it would be, it was weird if, if it was two months without a show. And we had a really great venue at the university called the underground, which was just like a, you know, it was like the community, like kind of a community center for the college that they would let if you were going to school there. And luckily DJ was taking some classes there. So he had access to this really great venue. So I think the first show I tried to go see well, I went to it, but the bands didn't show up. It was it was supposed to be um, Gorilla Biscuits and Judge, maybe both of them, both of them, but wow, wow. Neither, neither neither one of them showed up. But Zero Tolerance from Buffalo played, which was like game changing, life changing to see them. Like that was from that point on, I was like, that's it. That's I, I want to be in a band like these guys, which I I always say is like that was my that was like the archetype. You know, that was, that was earth crisis was like, we just want to be like a zero tolerance meets integrity meets Slayer. But that, I, I'm pretty sure that was my first show. I, I think I, I had been to like maybe, maybe like my first official show. I think I'd been to see a few like local bands, you know, like, you know, like friends and young, ba- you know, like younger kids and stuff. But that was like, you know, my first official show with like a PA and, you know, people I didn't know there. Right. Yeah. I, I'll never forget the first big hardcore show I went to was Dillinger Escape Plan. And, you know, I almost got killed during the set and I was hooked ever yeah. since. Yeah. I was like, nothing will ever compare to this. This is what I need to be doing all the time. So from that first time that you saw Zero Tolerance and were so inspired, how long until you hook up with Carl and we see the beginning of Earth Crisis? You know, it's funny because I, I was just kind of going through all these timelines because it, it seems like a long time because so much happened, but it was really only like probably one year because I, I started a band. So I went to that show and then a couple people there found out I, I played guitar and somebody was like, Hey, we're starting a band. And so next thing I know I'm playing in a band with what was like sort of the, the foundation of earth crisis in a way it was, it was Mike Riccardi was the drummer myself and, um, kind of revolving door of people in and out. But that was like the, the the baby steps, which led to earth crisis. And it was only maybe about a year, you know, Mike and I decided to go off and we, that band was called forefront. And then we decided to break off and start a band called framework, which framework was earth crisis. It, it, Carl had found out that there was a bunch of straight edge guys who were also vegan. And he had been looking for a project and we met up with him at a show and he was like, Oh, you guys are all, you know, vegan straight edge guys. Like, um, help me out. I want to record a demo. So we were like, we thought it was just like a side thing. Like, all right, well, we'll do framework, but we'll help this guy out too. You know, no problem. Framework's the one with, uh, Shane in it, right? Yeah. Shane Durge was the singer of framework. Yeah. And then, um, it was songs Carl had written, 
Um, it was four songs that he had written, and we we punched them up a little bit, but for the most part, they they were his, you know, his songs. Now, when uh, when you say he wrote them, did he have music to go along with lyrics, and how yeah. how much was your involvement? Yeah, he had he had uh, he had all of it. He had the music and the lyrics, and um, we 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 changed it up a little bit, you know, some of the songs up a little bit. Um, right. He he understood he was you know, he wasn't like the greatest musician. It was just more like, I want to make this happen. It was just, he, he just, he just made it work, you know, even though he, he could barely kind of play, play the songs. And he knew that's why, that's why he was recruiting us, you know, because he, he knew like, I need somebody to help me make these better. So he had the vision. He needed your guys help to, to make it a reality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so we did it, uh, you know, we, and, and we thought we recorded the the demo, which became the all out war seven inch, and then we we were like, okay, well, that was fun. And we kind of went on our way. And then he had hit us up and was like, hey, I got an opportunity to play a show. You guys want to play a show? All right, sure. You know, and so we played a show and it was sort of, I think that was the the moment when everybody kind of like clicked. You know, we we played a show and like, it was just, it just felt good. You know, it, it, we had played shows with Framework and they were good too, but this just felt different. You know, there was something like that just, really clicked at that show. And Carl was just like, not like anybody else we had ever seen. And I think we all saw something special in the, in the unit that we had put together. Right. And talk about that show a little bit. What was special? Was it, was it your guys' energy? Was it the reaction from the crowd? Was it everything? Yeah, it was a little bit everything. I think, I think mainly what we were impressed with was it was just, uh, I mean, you know, I mean, it's like we talked about early on in, in this, like being from Syracuse, there's a special kind of anger, you know, that, that's from there. And, and that's, it was just, um, there was no leash, you know, like it was just full, everybody was just off the leash, you know, when we played it was, and it was just such a cool, like cathartic experience. Like we could just say what we wanted. We can act how we wanted. We could be as wild as we wanted. I mean, I remember Carl, you know, at that very first show was like lassoing kids with the mic cable like around their necks you know but it was just it was just pure like crazy you know and and we all we all just left it with just such a great feeling and we were like we need we need more of that that's great yeah and you know for my generation earth crisis were trailblazers in their ideals and in incorporating a metal sound into the music so you know you you talked about it a little bit but how much thought went into that you know because like you said Carl was looking for guys who were vegan and straight edge, so that was part of it. And did we intentionally plan out the sound, incorporating some more metal elements? How much how much planning did you guys put into this whole thing? At that point, no, because at, at that point we had just been helping him. You know, uh, it, he had written the songs, and I mean, if you go back and listen to that record, it's quite different than the stuff that came after it. You know, and. He loved metal though, and that was something we all had in common. And and there from that point on, I think after that show, the conversation started to be had of like, all right, so what if we took this more seriously? What what would it sound like? What would everybody be okay with this being like? You know? And I was like, in framework, I was sort of the odd man out because like I already said, like I came from like a thrash metal background. I loved hardcore too, but never, never the same kind of hardcore that maybe some of the other guys did. Like I never liked any of the youth crew stuff. I never really liked youth of today. I never really, yeah, they're fine. I, I don't it, it, like, I actually have more of appreciation for it now, but at the time I, I had been so many of my friends had tried to get me on board with that stuff. And I was like, no, I just don't like it, you know? <laughs> and I still, I still don't love it. You know, I, I mean, I really like the disengaged seven inch. I think that's really good, but anything 
other than that, really, not not really for me, you know. So Scott, what hit you? Things like Chromags, like that kind of like yeah. more metallic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The cro- the crossover stuff, you know, like the yeah. stuff that was like, you know, had had a foot in both worlds, you know. Yeah, cro- like uh, like bands like DRI and the Accused and uh, Chromags for sure and uh, Bad Brains, you know, like. All, all that, you know, the stuff that, the stuff that everybody, you know, everybody likes really. But yeah, none of the, the real, like the real hardcore stuff. I didn't, I didn't it's never really stuck with me. So the conversations were had for sure. Like, what are we going to be like? And I distinctly remember, you know, the conversation being had, like, what if the band was all the best parts of Slayer, all the breakdowns, none of the fast stuff, <laughs> like all the, all the, you know, all the, all the slow Slayer parts, like that was that was sort of the the umbrella that we were working under for a while. I love that because that's what I don't like about metal. I love the breakdowns, but the fast parts, I'm like, I could do without those. You know, <laughs> until until probably like seven years ago, I totally agreed with you. I never understood. I never got it. I was like, I don't, I don't want to write a fast. I ne- any Earth Crisis songs. I, I think up until maybe the last three albums, I I don't think we ever successfully wrote a fast part. Like they were never, they were, they were never fast. They were, they always came off slow, you know? And I think we did it because I started to get an appreciation for them and understand, oh, that's how you do it. That's why our stuff sounds slow. I started figuring it out, you know, but I like it now. I actually really like fast stuff now. And probably because I just kind of burnt myself up on, out on the, uh, like the groove, the more groove based, you know, stuff that, that I've kind of, I guess, maybe known for, but. Yeah, a little burnout on it, I suppose. I I hear you. I'm I'm big into the groove stuff, the four four. You know, like I'm into that. But I think if I were to ever write a record again, I wouldn't do that again because I've done it so many times. I'm I'm bored of it. Yeah, because you just there's only so much you can do in this world with you know in the world that we operate in. It's there's there's so there, there's a lot of and it's sad to say, but there are there's a lot of barriers. You know, people you can only do certain things and people get upset if you try to do this or that, which earth crisis never really cared about. But sometimes other people that I work with, you know, like other guys in the band and stuff, they're very stuck on these rules of like what you can and cannot do within our genre of music. And it, that really kind of bums me out, honestly. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Scott, what are your thoughts on corn? <laughs> oh, I mean like when they first, so like when they first came out, it, like like anything, it, it it got it got so played out that it's laughable now, right? But like when that record first came out, that was like the heaviest music that you ever heard on the radio, like ever. Yeah. And and I saw them play in uh in Syracuse at the Lost Horizon for I mean there was maybe two hundred people there, and um I mean it was it was crazy good. I liked it. I mean it was uh you know I mean obviously I think we all knew that it was lyrically shallow <laughs> you know um but as far as the music it was great i remember even like i, th- I forget what tour we were on uh, i know we were with glass jaw i don't remember if it was in europe or somewhere but the talking to those guys about it and they were like yeah i love corn i love that album and i was like it, it's really good i'm like it's great <laughs> i mean lyrically shallow of course you know but it, it, it you go into it with a certain understanding and it it was really good now it's like like anything that it it was ruined right because they had a they were on to something and everybody beat it to death and it, so now it's kind of goofy but you know when it first came out it it definitely resonated that, i mean that's why they became like 
the biggest band in the world for a period of time. Yeah. Yeah. They were like this really cool underground heavy band that nobody else sounded like. Yeah, absolutely. They were, they were, yeah, they were, uh, truly unique. I mean, they really, they're what, and, and not many people can say that. I mean, they did something very unique. I remember hearing them the first time and going, how do they make that noise? Like the, <laughs> the sound of like the bass and the drums together, like that. And I was like, I get the guitar part. Like, I understand how they're doing that. But like, yeah. how does that like, it's almost like uh, when you hear like hip hop songs and they have like the 808 come in and yeah. it's that like kind of like resonating bass. I'm like, how are they doing that? I don't yeah. understand what's happening. And then I saw that like, like pictures of them and I'm like, oh, the bass player plays a six string. Wait a minute. Okay, they this guy has like f- like four floor toms. Like, okay, this is starting to make sense now. Like, yeah, no, they they were onto something. I mean, you, you got to give them credit. You know, I mean, they did something uh, unique in a world where it's very difficult to do that. You know. So Scott, you talked about the landscape of hardcore and all the rules, and you can do this and you can't do that. Take us back to that time. We've got all out war out. Right, we're playing. We're picking up some steam. What was the landscape at the time? Was there a lot of vegan straight edge bands was there a lot of gatekeeping did you and earth crisis push a lot of that out into the forefront as you progressed set the stage for us a little bit i I would uh, to be uh, to be you know uh, not humble about it i i I guess we did (laughs) but but i mean there were we certainly weren't the only ones doing it we weren't the first people to to do that either you know but especially i think it was especially difficult for us being a straight edge band and having the sound that we had, right? Because there were bands like Overcast, you know, from Massachusetts that they were around before us, and, you know, and they were, I mean, unbelievably metal at the time, you know, and they were playing hardcore shows. And I mean, there were a lot of bands, Zero Tolerance, like I mentioned, there was a band from called Betrayed from Rochester. I mean, we were really a product of our, the scene at the time. We There, there were other bands doing similar stuff, but I think the thing that was maybe added a hurdle to us was the straight edge title because yeah, there was tons of, of gatekeeping. Like you said, you know, it was at the time it was like New Jersey was the Kings of straight edge, right? They had resurrection and mouthpiece and lifetime. And, you know, all these new age bands were all from New Jersey and um, yeah, they were not having it. Like when we would go play, uh, the first festival we played where we were around those bands was more the music festival in Dayton. I believe it was maybe the first hardcore music festival ever. Um, and, uh, it was huge and it was fantastic. And we had a very surprising response for us. It was, it was one of the first times we ever even left Syracuse driving all the way down to Ohio and we had a great response, but yeah, all those, all those bands, you know, come to find out afterwards, people are like, oh, you know, these, and I don't know who, so I I won't say names, but I know it was people from those bands that I named um, were like, oh, you know, people were telling us, oh, they were throwing stuff at you and this and that. And, and I, and a lot of it, people always, people always kind of assume, I think it was the vegan stuff and maybe the, the somewhat militant aspect to the vegan lyrics, but early on, it was definitely more the metal sound that was being, that was the, that was the problem. That was always seemed to be the first in the line of insults. It was always like, you know, you guys are one of, you're not one of us. Yeah. 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 We don't, this isn't hardcore. This isn't straight edge. You know, you can't be metal. You guys are some metal band. You guys are, you know, when we had problems with, I mean, ironically, uh, I like some of the guys from Cleveland who was like integrity, you know, and place and ringworm and bands like that. They were saying stuff like that. All these guys are like some, you know, metal Pantera band. I'm like, 
well, what the hell do you guys think you are? You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it was just, it was just, I mean, to be quite frank, I mean, we were, we were inspired by those guys and then they were throwing the metal insult at us. So it was a big part of it at first it was more the sound than it was any of the other stuff, you know, the politics. Yeah. I came into hardcore in the late nineties and th- there was a, there was a big argument between hardcore purists and the stuff we were listening to, like Shy Halud, Converge, yeah, all that yeah. next wave metal stuff. So if you listen to a band like, let's say, Earth Crisis or All At War, Blood for Blood, that was hardcore. But yeah. the other stuff was not hardcore. It sounds like even back in the day, what you were doing early on was not considered hardcore by some of these folks. Right, because it was, you know, we, you know, we were that band for sure. And then as it progressed, as the band started taking it more into that realm of metal and you started getting like Unearth and Kill Switch Engage and, you know, bands like that, then all of a sudden Earth Crisis was very hardcore and those <laughs> bands were metal. You know, it, it was just, and you're, you're right. I mean, it's exactly what it was. It was just gatekeeping. And um, we dealt with that a lot on the political side of things too, because it was like, you know, we had that aspect, we had the, the hardcore purists that were mad at us. And then we had the political aspect and we had like uh maximum rock and roll and heart attack magazine who were, I mean, flat out just trying to like blacklist us and just be like, you know, you, sh- you can, you cannot listen to this band. And, and just like, now every- why? Because I mean, I think the things that you guys stand for are positive. Well, because they, they kept a, well, I mean, you know, we said crazy stuff and it was, and it was, it was intentional because it's like I said early on, it was cathartic for us. So it was, it's always been a, it's always been an outlet or very rageful outlet. So it's like to yeah. say, to sing songs about, you know, and, and these were all like inspired by historic events and stuff and things that actually took place, but they weren't framed that way musically. But like, you know, a vivisectionist being, murdered in England, right? Like there's a line in one of our songs about vivisectionists being dragged into the streets and shot. And it was, it was from an incident, right? But we just put it in the music and not really framing it as like, oh, this was historical. We're just, it's just rageful. It's angry. It's how we felt, not necessarily what we wanted to do, but this was our outlet for it, right? So these guys were all trying to frame us as a hardline band, you know, because hardline had just been through the ringer because, and, and rightfully so they had a lot of bad ideas. They were, they, they, they were homophobic, openly homophobic. They were, you know, there was a lot of real bad stuff that we didn't want to associate ourselves with hardline. So right. these, these, um, heart attack, maximum rock and roll, those magazines were just convinced no matter how many times we would say in interviews and even tell them directly, we are not a hardline band. We don't agree with these aspects of that ideology. They would just positive that we were like, a secret hardline band that we were just trying to say that to get out of the trouble, quote unquote, that we were going to get in <laughs> for being one of those bands. So essentially, yeah, they were the ones dictating, like, we don't think this band is suitable for you to listen to. We won't let you make that decision. We're going to tell you, you know, which is ironic, right? Because I mean, I think those, the, the entire idea of those magazines is like free thought, anti-fascism, but we're going to tell you the, the free thought that you should think, you know? These are the right ideas. Make sure you listen to these. I'm like, oh, <laughs> really? You're not going to let us decide? Thanks. Right. Great. Did all that negative press, so to speak, did it, did it have an impact on you that you felt? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, it has, I think it has, it's had a negative impact on us that we, every member of the band that went through that period of time with us still feels today. I mean, I think they're, it wasn't, you know, cause it was, it was, uh, 
unpleasant, you know, uh, like we were on a mission at, at, at that point. I mean, I think a lot of other bands would have went on one tour and dealt with the stuff that we dealt with and packed it up and been like, I'm not, I'm not trying to deal with this, you know? Um, right. But it was every day was, you know, there was no internet back then. So it was just word of mouth rumors, but it was every day, every show was these guys are going to fight you at this show. These guys are waiting to fight you at the next show. And it was like years and years. And sometimes it was true. Nine times out of 10, I'd say it was false, but occasionally it was true. Like we'd show up there and there'd be, so, there'd be a problem. And no, none of us wanted that. Like that wasn't the kind of people that we were. Did you ever show up to a show and actually have to fight somebody? I don't know about showing up, but during the show, yeah, there were, there were a few, very few. I think that not as many as, Maybe the rumor mill has has th- had thinks there that it, it happened, but there were a few instant instances incidences. Yeah, there's a famous story. I don't know if it's true or not. Maybe you'll be able to tell me. I think it was the singer of Ink and Dagger. He wore a fur coat to one of your shows and threw yogurt or something, and then there was something happened after that. Did that actually happen? Yeah it um it it w- it's it wasn't him that was wearing the fur coat, but he was involved. And, uh, and it was, yeah, it was some guys from, yeah, it was like Philly, New Jersey guys who most of them were actually really cool with. And we, we actually, I mean, this was back in the days of handwritten letters. So after that happened, I think most of those guys that were involved in that all wrote us letters, like apology letters and just were like, Hey, we're sorry about that. I got wrapped into uh, up into doing something dumb with my friends and which is totally understandable because I've been down that road too. I've, I've, I've done very stupid things with my friends just because they're doing it, you know? So I get it. Um, but yeah, there was a few of those guys that were just, uh, you know, man, it was, it was like a lot of those guys were straight edge guys that two years before really liked earth crisis. I mean, this was specifically Sean I'm speaking of from Ink and Dagger. He, you know, he loved earth crisis for at a point in his life. He was a straight edge guy who, fell off and, you know, was having a drug problem. So who's the enemy, right? At that point, you know, it's like, oh, the band that I used to love that got me into this thing that I'm not into anymore. So, and I don't know who the ringleader of all of it was. I don't, uh, you know, but it, that wasn't honestly that big of a deal. They got some kid to run out with a fur coat and he jumped on the crowd and some people we brought with us jumped on top of him. And then the crowd started fighting him. And there's a video of it on YouTube. I mean, you can find it, but like, um, well, and the only reason I point that out is because I think it's important because nobody ever talks about this part of the story. It's important because you can see right on there, Carl and the rest of us are telling everybody, stop, stop fighting, stop fighting this kid. If Carl is screaming, get off of him, leave him alone. So it's like, it, it's always framed as like, oh, Earth Crisis attacked a guy because he jumped out on a fur coat. That's not a, what all would happen. Other people in the crowd attacked the guy and we were telling him, stop, cut it out. So, you know, it, it, you know how things get spread around, but it was difficult. You know, I mean, the, like the early years, I'd say that that incident actually was like the tail end of where we where we were having problems. But I'd say from like, you know, when we started touring like 90 93 to 96 or so those were like yeah it was really difficult and i think like i said i think most bands would have just been like no forget this this isn't fun you know did you find that a lot on tour that people were intentionally trying to get you going with stunts like that just because of what you believed in oh yeah all the time we we had dead mouse mice thrown at us on stage we had uh I mean, yeah, people throwing yogurt and stuff like that. I mean, not all the time. I mean, I, I don't want to frame it like this was all the time. 
like the vast majority of the time we had amazing friends and people see the, the, the problem was we didn't see it that way. Right. Cause it's like, there could be 700 people at a show, but if 10 of them were being jerks, this is all we talked about for months with those 10 people. And that was in, in part due to just the negative nature that we, that we have as people, you know, we are, you know, we are negative guys, you know, I'm, tr- I'm trying not to be for 20, 30 years of my life now, but you know, at, at, yeah, at a, at our core, I mean, I think most people that get into hardcore, you have a, you have a certain sense of negativity and pessimism about you, you know? I think that's a very East Coast thing. Like, yeah. though, like, it, I actually was going to bring this up. Reversal of Man has that song about you guys, the get the kid with the sideburns. Right. Was that one of those kind of situations where it was somebody doing something inflammatory and then you guys, and then the crowd reacted and then somehow it's pinned on you? It was absolutely them doing something inflammatory <laughs> and 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 that's and that's the thing about it it's you know they, they i think decibel just ran a story about them like a couple years ago yeah. and and here's the thing like we don't i mean now i'm old so i don't care but for years we never addressed this stuff because we always were like if you talk about it you just give these people power because that's what they want right they like reversal man showed up to the earth crisis show and i mean let's be honest that band the only reason anybody knows that band is because of that incident. Right. I mean, like nobody would know, have any clue who those guys were if they weren't the band that had their incident with earth crisis and then wrote a song about it, you know? So our, our thing was like, well, we just don't address this stuff. But in a lot of ways, I think that hurt us because we weren't telling the truth. And so we let these people dictate the narrative and, and, and that's what they're still doing. I mean, like I read this, half truth of a story that they ran in decibel the other, you know, which was ridiculous. I mean, they, like they, there's, there's so much precursor to that incident. There's two other times that we played there in Tampa and these guys are always like heckling and throwing stuff. And it was just constantly that kind of stuff. And it was also other bands that we were friends with. They're like, I hate going to St. Petersburg. If whenever we go to St. Petersburg, there's this group of kids and they just like, they heckle and they throw shit. And then if you, if you say something to them or you do anything, then they're the victims, you know? And so this time, much like I was talking about, it was like days beforehand, people were like, oh, well, you know, those guys are going to come and they're going to throw eggs at you. Like when you play. So we get to the show and I'll try to keep it brief. It's long, but we get there and, uh, they're, heckling and just being goofy for uh vision of disorder while they're playing and they're running around one guy has like a big afro wig on now in the story he frames it as they went dressed up as the village people that's nonsense like he knows that doesn't look good that he went there wearing an afro wig right (laughs) because it doesn't right because he's supposed to be the good guy but he went there wearing an afro wig no one else was dressed up as village people that's just false And so, you know, the bottom line is like, they were going to throw stuff. They came with bad intentions and then bad stuff happened and they're the victims. Right. You know, so it's like when we, when we got up on stage to play, Carl asked to keep the lights on. Somebody in the crowd yelled something. Next thing you know, we all ran off the stage. We were all getting fights. VOD was mad because these guys were acting like idiots while they were playing. VOD came running out from the backstage room. There was a big fight. Some guy with sideburns tried to kick Carl missed him. So Carl jumped on the table and was like, Hey, where's that guy with the sideburns? Like in context, it all makes sense. Of course they changed the narrative to frame it, to make us look like we're weirdos. And Carl was just randomly yelling, get the kid with the sideburns. Of course there's context to the whole thing, you know? And, but yeah, it's, 
I think that was a big thing that we did wrong in hindsight is we, we let other people control the narrative of these stories. And we, I'll stand by, we weren't the bad guys in these situations, you know? I've been in both of these situations where you, you don't want to say anything because you think you're going to give life to it. Yeah. Also, being pushed, you know, it's like you're pushed and you're pushed and you're pushed to a point and then you react and it's like, oh my God, you're crazy. It's like, well, no, there was 17 <laughs> steps leading up to yeah, this. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I mean, I will take some responsibility in the situation because it's like we were and we are, you know, volatile people to an extent. Yes. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that maybe we, we didn't, you know, somebody pushed us at a five and we retaliated at an eight. That that's absolutely how that happens, you know, but the the point is we didn't roll into St. Petersburg, you know, with the intention of hurting anyone or bothering anyone. We wanted to go there, play a show, give some high fives, have a good time and leave. That's what we want to do, you know, but somebody else came with the intention of we're going to throw stuff. We're going to, we're going to disrupt things. And then when we countered, they were the victims, you know, and, and I don't, that doesn't really float, you know? It actually doesn't line up with the narrative. Like that, the idea that like, you know, like, okay, someone gets pushed enough and then they retaliate. It's like, okay, well, what brought on this aggression? Like, and it, the thing is, is like, I always, I was such a huge fan of you guys and I was such a huge fan. I'm still a huge fan of you guys and Path of Resistance. And I remember getting the Path of Resistance cover being like, all right, this is my crew. Like these, <laughs> these dudes are like fucking bandanas over the face hoods up out in the fucking middle and graffiti i'm like i'm fucking down with this like <laughs> i'm fucking down like these are like these are my people because in my head i'm going like i've been friends with a lot of people throughout the years and keith can kind of attest to this like the people that seem the scariest on the outside are the most loyal and most fiercely loyal people the people that you want to keep near you like, especially when times are tough, like, and uh, when I see you guys as like a group, I go, that's a group I stand behind. Like, that's a really cool group of friends that made music that they love together. Well, thank you, man. Yeah. And, and I think that's, I mean, I think that's kind of what hardcore, at least like, uh, like you were saying, East coast hardcore, you know, I think that's a big part of it. It's, uh, you know, it's damaged goods, you know, it, it, it's a bunch of people that, that, are, that come from maybe not the best backgrounds or haven't had the best upbringings and you find a family, you know, I think that was the thing that was most disheartening for, for us is because we thought we found a family and we didn't, you know, it was like, then, then going out and I, like, I'm in sect, you know, with, with guys that were in similar bands to me, but had very different uh, circumstances, you know, and they'll, we'll go through towns now and they'll be like, Oh, do you remember this person that we used to stay with all the time? And he or she had this house. And, and I'm like, no, I, dude, we had a different thing. You know, people didn't want to stay in at their houses. Like people, you know, we did, we didn't have that, that hardcore camaraderie or, or that family vibe, which is really what we all needed. But we were, we all of a sudden, and, and I hate to sound like, you know, a martyr about it, but it's like, we became the outcasts among the out, uh, outcasts. You know, we, we thought, okay, this is where we fit in. And then the second we go out and start playing shows, it's like, oh, these guys want to fight you. These guys have a problem with you. These guys. And you're like, what the hell? I thought we were all on the same page here. You know, in music that's based around community, I think earth crisis became some of the most divisive. Yeah, for sure. And, and we, you know, that's the thing, right? I, we talked about, uh, for years we didn't understand. It wasn't until semi recently that I understood why we sold such little merch. You know, it, it was like a band like Snapcase who we were 
tight with and friends with, they were going out and th- we were, you know, our, our two drummers, Dennis and, and Tim are like best friends. Like they've known each other since childhood. And so they were talking and Dennis would be like, Snapcase is going out and making X amount a night on merch. And I'm like, well, we're not doing half that. But I think now I look back and I'm like, well, of course we weren't. Like wearing a Snapcase shirt was like, you know, not nothing against them, but it was like, I like music. I like this band, right? Wearing an Earth Crisis shirt is like giving everybody the middle finger. You know what I mean? I had an Earth Crisis shirt growing up and it was just the lyrics to the discipline on the back. And it said Earth Crisis in the front. And it was like, it was the entire load, like all the lyrics to the discipline on the back. And it was like, okay, if somebody's standing behind me in line at Wawa, like they're not psyched on this. <laughs> it's a, no, it's a, it's a challenge, you know? And I, and I get it. Like I, it took me forever to realize that. I was like, I, I don't think we realized too. I think, you know, there's some fault not intentional. We didn't, it wasn't intentional, but we didn't realize that we were like that. We knew who we were. We knew what our intentions were behind our band lyrically and musically, but we didn't, we didn't necessarily see how other people saw it. Right. Like for, from other people's eyes, it was, it was the, the myth of like, these guys go to shows and smack cigarettes out of people's hands and the, the stuff that never happened that we never did. But that was the rumor mill that was being started. And then you read the lyrics and you're like, well, of course these guys do that terrible stuff. Right. But, you know, but we didn't, we were confused for years. We're like, I don't get it. We're, we're, we're pretty nice guys, you know, for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause between there was, it was divisive and there was a lot that went with it, you know, I, between earth crisis and path of resistance in the early days, I, I had that association. I was like, these are scary guys and scary guys. Listen to them. We are the, uh, the opposite of scary guys. Like no one, no one in the band is like tough. We can't necessarily fight. The only reason that we ever made it out of situation is because we, we implemented mob mentality very well. Like every, if one f- person fought, everybody fought, but on our own, like, I, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think we would have been able to handle much to be honest with you, but you know, luckily we were a unit and if it's like one thing happened, it happened to everybody. Did you ever reach a point where things felt better, you know, where you felt more accepted in that first era, like leading up to 2001? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, sadly, uh, I think it was when we started trying to move away from it, you know? I mean, like when, like going to Roadrunner and putting out a record like Slither, those were conscious attempts at trying to remove ourselves from something I think we saw as like toxic, you know? Like we, we, we were like, at that point, we were like, this is ridiculous. Uh, we had been in some because it's a vicious cycle, right? Like when we first started, we weren't those people, but then we kind of became those people that everybody thought we were, you know, because we sort of had to, in order to survive in a way, it was like the, the, the aggression was like, it started coming out and yeah, then we started doing, you know, maybe being overly aggressive at shows and you know what I mean? It was, it was like, that wasn't, that's not our nature. That's not who we are, but because we were put into a, to be dramatic, a war zone situation, we had to become those people. So we ended up getting in some legal trouble outside of band stuff. It had nothing to do with band stuff because we kind of became bad guys. Like, to be honest, you know, like, like around the time we went signed to Roadrunner and um, we got in some legal trouble. We almost did jail time for fighting stuff, just college stuff. Had nothing to do with hardcore at all. It was just outside, like completely outside. And three of us got in some serious trouble. And um, after that, we came out of that with like, all right, we got to remove ourselves from this world that 
has kind of turned us into these people, right? Like we, so we made a conscious effort to get different booking agents, play different venues. We knew that we were still going to have the fan base like coming into the shows, but it wasn't, it was never them that we had a problem. It was all these other people that just went to shows, right? Like we kind of figured if the earth crisis guys come, they're not going to be a problem. It's, it's, it's when you play the scene show, the randoms that just go to every show, those are the guys always start in trouble. So, and that was Slither too. It was like, all right, we need to jump. We need to jump and go somewhere different. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I hear a lot of bands tell that story around that time. People just wanted to get out of hardcore because it was just so violent. I think everywhere in every scene. Yeah. And I, and I think we get a lot of blame for that, which, you know, again, inadvertently may be true, but it was never our intention. I think if you call someone a bully enough and treat them like a bully and act like they're a bully, eventually those people will become bullies. Yeah. It's the mentality of like, all right, if it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, I'm going to start treating this like a duck. And I think that a lot of this came around from, like you said, with hardcore, you end up with some people that have necessarily not had the greatest upbringings or greatest backgrounds. And then you combine that with, unbelievably aggressive music and put them in a situation where you're like, Hey, dance as hard as you want. And essentially I've tried to explain to my daughters what like hardcore dancing is. And my one daughter's like, that looks like you're allowed to beat up people for free. And I'm like, uh, not really. It would be, it would be that if the other person said, yeah, it's okay for you to beat me up. You know, yes. it, it's, yeah. it, it's, everybody knows what they're getting into and it's, you know, it's, it, it's nice. I mean, you know, the, the situation that just happened at the, uh, you know, at that like uh Travis Scott show or whatever, you know, oh, I was yeah. think, I, I mean, I, I think anybody that's been to a hardcore show can, you know, has had a moment where they're like, I don't know if I can get up. I don't know if I can get out of here. I'm being pressed against the barrier so hard. I, like I'm starting to freak out. You couldn't help but think about that you know, when you, when you heard about these people and what happened to them. And I thought, well, you know, the difference is what's supposed to be the difference is that a hardcore show, everybody there is looking out for each other. They're being, they're being rough. They're being aggressive. But at the same time, if somebody's on the ground pinching your leg saying, Hey, help me. I think most of the people there are going to help. Going into a show, you enter into a contract of, look, this is mutually assured destruction. We are we are here to have fun, but at the rec- you know recognizing if you are standing on the edge of the pit and you're seeing every third person get hit, please recognize that at some point in time you will be next. Like you are going to be a part of this. Either you're in it or you're out. And I think, that, especially with that Travis Scott thing, that's devastating because you know there's people that went there knowing like. Oh, I'm going to have a good time at a concert and, you know, party and have a great time. And then there's tragedy thrust upon them. Yeah, it was it was a it was a breakdown on so many levels. You know, I mean, so many people did the wrong thing. I mean, from the from the concert goers to the to the staff to I mean, how how could so many things break down all at the same time? I mean, it's. It's, it's. I mean, eight people, I think, were killed, right? Yeah. Eight. Yeah. yeah. And it, the show should stop at one person dying. Well, yeah. there, there's a there's a video circulating of, uh, there's two people, I don't know, they must have some type of backstage stage access because they get up onto the, the kind of mezzanine area where there are people recording with, like, really high-end cameras, like, the, you know, stage cameras that they would use to record, like, a sitcom, and there are people saying... There are people dead out there. Stop fucking playing. Stop recording and screaming at them. And the guy kind of like shrugs his shoulders like, okay. 
Yeah. And, and, and again, I mean, I've been, I've been in situations where I didn't make the best choice situations at shows like that too. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, again, it's like I say, I, I don't, I don't claim full, uh, you know, wash my hands of any wrongdoings or, or negativity from earth crisis. I mean, we definitely are volatile people and have gone through different phases of our lives and there could be excuses for why we've were those people and all day long. But yeah, I mean, we're not, we're not angels, you know, we do stuff wrong, you know, but like, and we've had situations where there were shows that were getting a little bit out of hand and we were always like, whatever, you know, we got to a point where we got numb to it, honestly, because it was so frequent that we were just like, whatever, we just want to, let's just get through the set. I'm sick of having the set interrupted every show. And, you know, luckily there was never anything like that tragic that happened, but it could have, you know, it really could have. Did you see it happening in real time? I mean, just people taking things too far. You started as this militant, vegan, straight edge band, and the music is one thing, but action is another. And I'm sure there's people that just took it way too far. Did you see this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely, we definitely were aware that there were places that things were getting taken beyond the point of, uh, you know, comfort you know, for, and what we were, what we were into. I mean, you know, I mean, famously like Salt Lake City and Reno, I mean, the people there were rough around the edges and and a lot of them were, a lot of them were friends, you know, like they were friends. And again, it's sort of like you were saying earlier, you know, you'd hear things and then I'd hang out with these people and I'm like, I can't picture these people doing that, you know, going, going to that level. But to be fair, the way I look back on it as a 46 year old man to, to a 20 year old, I didn't care as much when I was 20, you know, I, I didn't, I, I just thought, eh, whatever, this is how it is. I didn't, I didn't really accept responsibility for it. And I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, depending on the day you catch me, I may accept responsibility for it now, or I may not, you know, it's like, I always say like, these people were, these people were violent by nature. They were either going to get into white power or straight edge, you know? And it's like, you know, they happen to fall on our side of it. I hope that made them a little bit better than if they got into white power, you know? I mean, it's like, the, again, it's like a whole world full of damaged goods people. You can't be surprised when some bad stuff happens, you know? Scott, I've never heard someone put it that way, but you nailed it. Like people that are into those extreme like forms of lifestyle really kind of fall into like those kind of like two differentiations of like, all right, there's one group that's going to pick up an ideology and just fucking run with it. Yeah, like because the, usually and this has just been my experience, like they lack guidance in terms of like where they are in terms of their home life. Right. So they latch on to things that they think are powerful or things that they think are empowering, things that make them feel good about the group they're around. And it's like I think a lot of times when you hit into that type of mentality, you end up with the extremes of behaviors. You yeah. end up with people that that are going to be extraordinarily violent or extraordinarily the physical version or, or the, not the uh the mental version of physical manifestation so like something that's like all right instead of being like i'm gonna punch somebody in the face like they're gonna go crazy with the ideology or the literature that goes along with it it's yeah it really is that's a great way of putting it i think one of the things that was so frustrating too you know there were a lot of those like straight edge talk shows like geraldo and and all oh, that yeah. stuff and you can donahue you can, and all that yeah. yeah you can find that stuff on youtube and the thing that was so frustrating and i would watch those over and over again is they tried to frame it as like straight edge was uh like a like a boy scout club you know and and i was like you, you you're missing the whole a big piece of the puzzle that you're not 
selling to these to, is the backstory of all the people that got into straight edge, the broken families, the drug addicted families. Like th- this isn't a, this isn't a boy scout group. This is a support group. That's trying to let, trying to help everybody be not the most insane version of themselves that they are destined to be. Right. So it's like, yeah, crazy stuff's going to happen. We're not, nobody was saying like that, that we're not all damaged people. We're wearing that on our sleeves. We're saying we all come from messed up backgrounds. Like straight edge is a way of having like a pinky toe and positivity. We're trying, we're making an attempt. Bad stuff's going to happen when you get a bunch of, of, you know, messed up people together. It's just going to happen. So when, when you tried to separate from this, you signed with Roadrunner, we're changing up the sound a little bit. Was it successful? Did the shows get better when you got away from the more violent aspects of the hardcore shows? I, I think we felt better. Yeah, because we, you know, we started, we did some tours with, um, you know, oddly, I, I mean, we, we, the first tour we did with on Roadrunner was with Madball, which, right, sounds like, oh, that's <laughs> going to be bigger problems, right? But for us, it was fantastic. Because, I mean, I think that was the first time we ever went out with a band even though ideologically we couldn't be different, right? We couldn't be any more different. There was a, just a, like a common ground there that we all understood. And I think, again, what I keep going back to is just that it's that damaged people thing. You know, it's like we all understood. It's like you guys might be smoking weed in the back of the bus and we're up front in the front of the bus playing cards and, and drinking tea, right? But like, but we all understood and respected each other. We respected each other's music. We respected each other as people. So it was actually like, you know, on paper, as crazy as it sounds, it was it was a great tour. And those are some of the the nicest guys that we ever toured with and some of the easiest to get along with guys that we ever toured with. How big did things get? Was the band the only thing you were doing? Was this our whole livelihood? Well, yeah, but it was barely a livelihood. But yeah, it was the, I mean, it was it was the only thing we were doing probably from about 95 to 2000. And and that was a big part of. Yeah, but it was, you know, I, I mean, it was it, it was coming home from tours barely enough money to pay rent, you know. I I, I just chose to live at my my grandmother's house for the all those years because I was like, well, why would I you know, I, I don't I don't care. I I mean, I was a, I was a lifer. I I was like this is who I am. I tour I play music. I don't care about any of this other stuff. Like I don't, I don't care about having a job, a career, whatever. This is what I do, you know? So I was, you know, I, I was setting myself up for, for that. Whereas like other guys understandably had different ideas, right? They, they wanted all the things that we all have now. And, um, I, I would have been happy to just keep it, keep it going on that hand to mouth level, you know, forever. But that was that was essentially why we decided to stop. It just got to a point where people were sick of, you know, it was just, you know, it, it, like it's every band story, you know, like that didn't ever really make any money. Everyone just got sick of being on tour eight months out of the year to come home and barely be able to afford anything, you know? So what'd you do after the initial end? Did you think you want, ever wanted to get out of music or did you try anything else? Where, where were you at at the time? Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I, I still wanted to play music, but I was happy to just work a day job. And um, I ended up going a little bit into Earth Crisis. I had worked at a health food store and that health food store closed, but he opened up like a warehouse, you know, uh, like just selling like vitamins and supplements and stuff. So I just went and worked for him. Um, it was really good money and he was a crazy, I mean, I, I could have a whole podcast just talking about this place. It was like 
the most wild, like should have been a reality TV show place <laughs> in the world. I mean, it was like an old uh, hippie guy from Brooklyn and he just, the stories could go on for days, but it was a wild place to work. So I worked there. There weren't really like rules about being late and stuff like that. So I could handle it. You know, I did that for a couple of years and then we moved, uh, my wife and I moved to California so she could do grad school. I, I played music. I kept, I kept playing music, but nothing that I was taking seriously. I just wanted to play. So I, I, I did like small bands just with friends, just for fun. I want to make sure we talk about the return of the California takeover. Yeah. yeah. LP. Mm-hmm. It's coming out November 15th on war records. Yeah. Now, uh, we're, we did this tour again. Yes. With strife and Snapcase. Yeah. We have been working on it, trying to get it going for years. Uh, and yeah, you know, by an act of God, I guess it happened a couple of years ago now, I guess it's been right. Yeah. Like this, the, pan, the it was right before the whole world shut down. We, we were able to sneak the, those shows in right, right before everything went south. <laughs> Let's talk about playing now compared to back in the day. We talked to Andrew from Strife and I just imagined complete chaos uh, at a Strife Earth Crisis Snapcase show in 1996. What's it like playing now compared to back then? Uh, I mean, not too different, I guess. I mean, it, it, I, I mean, I remember the original one, it was, um, it was a, a kind of a blur, really. I, I, I mean, I barely remember the first show because there was two shows. There's like the famous one that was at the Whiskey, but we did it at the Showcase Theater in Orange County the night before. I barely remember that show. I remember the Whiskey show pretty well, but I barely remember the the show in uh, in Orange County happening. If I mean, I knew it happened, but I can't. I don't remember anything specific about it. With those really old memories, I only remember really small pieces if anything i really have not even the tiniest recollection of that show happening i mean we played (laughs) showcase theater so many times like when i think about it i might be remembering they're all kind of blend together you know i don't i don't really remember that show but i do remember the whiskey show that that was i I think that was a big deal for me because it's the whiskey you know so i was like oh man we're playing crew yeah exactly yeah we're playing this place you know there's a van there's a van halen plaque out front you know this is amazing (laughs) And and it was big. That was big for us too because we had we had just been in a really bad van accident. So the, those shows were our first shows back after like our drummer broke his collarbone, and you know we thought maybe the band was going to break up and we weren't going to play anymore. And so yeah. victory was and and also like the first time anyone was like, we want you to play on the west coast, but we'll fly you there. Like before, it was like we want you to play on the west coast, but drive for four days to get there. You know. So he, he, Victory was like, we'll fly you out there. So we were like, oh, we're, we're rich. You know, this is it. We did it. Playing the whiskey. We got flown out. This is it. So when Earth Crisis plays now, I imagine it's a lot more chill. And I'm talking about people probably don't throw things at you anymore or wear fur coats or any of that stuff, I would hope. Yeah, I hope talking about it doesn't bring it back. But yeah, no, it's no, been, no, but it's no. been great. Yeah, but it's been great. You know, honestly, like I, I feel like uh, this second wave has been what we always wished and wanted. And and if it stops tomorrow, I think we can go out feeling like, all right, you know, that was, that was what we deserved, you know? Cause it was like the first time around, it's like I said, I don't think anyone really left with any good feelings about hardcore really, you know? And it's a shame. It's a shame because, you know, I, I love hardcore. Now I do. And it took me a long time to get to that point to say that because I was, I was pretty mad at it for a long time because it's like I said, I I felt like we found a family that, and then everybody was like turning their back on us and they turned out to be more abusive and, 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 you know, (laughs) dysfunctional than the families we had grew up with, you know? 
Yeah, I think, um, and maybe I'm out of touch, or maybe things are just more chill now, but I think everybody just gets along better these days. I don't see as much gatekeeping, like, no, this is real hardcore, no, that's not real hardcore, or bands being really pushed to the side because of beliefs they have. As far as, like, you know, veganism and straight edge, and those things are accepted now yeah they're not, it's it's not that radical to talk about those things you know it, it you know people know you know that half the room's vegan half the room's not people don't care they're not getting offended they're not getting uh defensive where it was like before you know 10 percent of the crowd was vegan there was literature you know 90 percent of the people there were upset and offended because that's the way you get it first when you're confronted with maybe some bad choices or decisions or that you've made in your life right you, you tend to get defensive so it was constantly like poking the angry bear, like every show we went to, you know? So these days it's very different. You know, most people are aware, have been around it before. It's not new information. They know who they're going to see. They know what they're going to hear on stage, you know? So it's a, it's a lot more just, uh, you know, it's, it's the dessert part of the meal (laughs) at this point. So how, where do you stand now compared to back in the day? Do you still have the, the fire that you once did? Are you still passionate about these ideals? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I feel exactly the same as I did, you know, back then I still have all the same beliefs. I, I, I mean, I think, um, they've matured in a way where I don't, you know, I mean, if, if somebody's not straight edge anymore, I don't care. You know, right. I mean, that's not something, I mean, would I, would I still back a song about it? Like writing the frustration about it and the anger behind it? Sure. Did it ever really manifest into like our real lives or our real life behavior? It never did. I mean, we wrote songs about stuff like that, but like I said, we toured with Madball. We toured with bands that guys were straight edge. The next time we saw them, they weren't. We never had a problem with any of these people. You know, I mean, the, the, that's the that's the strangest part that I've never been able, uh, able to really understand about Earth Crisis, and that people, most people, understood and recognized that it was cathartic expression, but there was a big faction of people that didn't, and I never understood where like where they were coming from, you know? I mean, it's like, what, of course it is. You know what I mean? Like, you don't, you don't think this is like really how we act or what we do, especially when you see us in, in person. And I thought that now when I, you know, when I tour with other bands and, you know, I tour with like my band sect and stuff like that, I meet people. I meet all the people that I didn't meet before. Cause I was too concerned about the negative, negative people. So all the, the, the 90% of the people at the show, the positive people, the people that were cool, the people that liked us, the people that understood where we were coming from, we didn't really pay much attention to those people at the time. We were too busy worrying about the five people that were in opposition to us, you know? And that was, that was our fault. That was where we probably were our worst enemy, you know, during those days. You know, I think as we get older, things just get more chill and you have a better understanding. Like when I was young, if anybody had any kind of strong belief about anything, I hated it. And I, I don't know why. Maybe I felt threatened. Maybe I was just immature. I'm not sure exactly. And then I got later in life, I got real passionate about certain things. And I would always shift the conversation towards it or force my beliefs, try to force my beliefs down people's throats. But I now it's just like, this is what I believe. If you do cool, if you don't, whatever. I'm not going to try to like convince you. And I feel like that's where you're at too. Yeah. There's something, there's something about being in constant opposition that only hurts yourself, you know? So exactly. it's like, you know, at some point you need to just accept 
accept certain things and surround yourself. I mean, that's why every band that I play in, I, mean, I do sect, I do a, a band called Tooth and Claw. It's like, they're all just vegan straight edge people because not because, I mean, because I want to forward that ideology, sure. But selfishly, it's mainly because those are the people I choose to spend my time with. I'm going to have the same ideals. I'm going to have the same places that we want to eat, you know, and the musicianship is there for me to be able to choose good musicians that also have those beliefs too. So I, I to, for me at this point, it's like, I, I just always try to find people that are on the same page with me to be around. Yeah. I think fundamentally people have more similarities than differences in most cases. And I, I tried to get away from a point where it's like, Oh, this person's belief system doesn't line up exactly with mine. So I can't talk to them anymore because if you operate like that, you're just going to end up pretty lonely, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like I said about the Madball tour, you know, I mean, we, we, we got, we got in a bus with these people that were, uh, on paper polar opposites, but we were, I mean, we were more similar, you know, than, than any of us ever could have imagined, you know? I think that one of the things that I, I th- with Madball, anybody I've met, that's like a real big Madball fan, uh, friendship and loyalty are like their, their core tenements. Yeah, sure. Like it, yeah. it has nothing to do with, you know, your ideology about vivisection or animal rights, or it's really about like, okay, we're here, we're being people, please make sure you're respectful. Like that's really their, their core yeah. tenements. And, and yeah, absolutely. And they were, they were the coolest. I mean, like, like I said, we, I mean, we, na- there was two lounges in the bus. One was heaven, one was hell. You know, they, they had hell and they were back there and they smoking weed and, you know, doing whatever. And we were up front. And, and a lot of times those, those, uh, heaven and hell clashed and we, we, we hung out together, you know, but not clashed in a, in a battle way, but combined, you know, we, we would hang out together and, and we became like real good friends. I, I still consider those guys like good friends now. And, um, I'll go see, you know, they're one of the few bands that if they come anywhere close, I go see still to, because I want to hang out with those guys. I'll, I'll ask for the night off of being a dad to go to go hang out with them, you know. And I imagine if you're on tour with Madball, nobody's going to mess with you unless they're completely crazy. Right? <laughs> yeah, well, th- there were a few instances where people tried and it, it didn't go well. So. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine they're not. Yeah, they're not bad friends to have in your corner. That, that, I'll say that exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I got to ask: Do you remember writing Firestorm at all? You got to set the scene for us a little bit because it's such a classic and. T- to this day, when I listen to it, I get so amped up, especially because I've embraced a uh, substance-free lifestyle Oh, nice! in my later life. So I have a newfound appreciation for straight-edge music now. So That's awesome. Set the stage for us a little bit. Yeah. I mean, we were, uh, I mean, it was in my, in my mom's basement, which is where Earth Crisis practiced. And, and it was actually the, the other guitar player we had at the time, not me, Ben, who came up with the iconic opening riff. I think I wrote... I think I wrote the, I'm pretty sure I wrote the the rest of it. I'm sure Ian probably had a little, a little hand in there somewhere too. I think I wrote the verses and, cor- and chorus parts, but yeah, Ben came up with the, the part. And of course, you know, I remember being like, I don't know, man, it's too, uh, it's very rain and blood slayer, you know, like, chug it, chug it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, I don't know. It's a little too, we got to change it up. And, you know, thankfully we didn't, um, because I don't think it would have had the impact that it, <laughs> that it had, but yeah, I got to give Ben credit for that one. Cause he came up with that, the main, the main part there. And the, the great thing about a song like that, it can only be written once. You can only write that riff that way one time. Right. That's it. And you guys did it. Yeah. You can't, no, there's no, there's no, uh, 
you know, let's make a similar song to Firestorm. You can't really do that. <laughs> no, it's like, yeah. you know, what name any classic Black Sabbath song. Like you can't you can't do that again. Like that riff is done. Yeah. Yeah, no, we got pretty lucky with that one. I mean, it was that I mean, that, you know, that really was the song that cuz even before the Firestorm EP came out, that was on our demo that like circulated around Syracuse and stuff and it was just an immediate everyone had an immediate reaction to that song. You know, people, I mean, it wasn't even out and it was like a popular song, you know? So yeah, we we're pretty fortunate to have written it. How do you feel about that when you see people just going crazy to a song you wrote? I've experienced it in, in smaller doses and I think it's the best feeling in the world. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's a, uh... I mean, it's an addiction. I mean, as I tell my wife all, I tell my wife all the time. I mean, for somebody that's straight edge, you know, I have a huge addiction, and it's playing music, you know, and it's being in a band, and because it's not just the music, it's the, it's the camaraderie, you know, too. These days, these days, I mean, I I love playing in sect, and I've loved playing in Tooth and Claw. I haven't played any shows with that yet, but. um Sadly, that came out during a time when no shows were <laughs> happening, so it was a bad time to put a record out. But, um, but uh, yeah, it's the, a big part of it is the camaraderie, you know, the the riding around with friends, the adventure of like, you know, getting to a city and what are we going to do, and you know, all that stuff too. But yeah, man, I it, I've gone long stretches of time without playing music or without writing music. It's been miserable, so I've just accepted the fact that. It's an addiction that I need to feed, and I'm going to continue to do it until I can kick the habit, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad addiction to have, for sure. And I feel the same way. You know, th- there's usually a lot of years between bands for me, and I'm in one of those periods now, but I hope I can return to it at some point. Yeah. So what have you got coming up with Earth Crisis? Our last album was in 2014, yes, Salvation yeah. of Innocence. Yeah, we have yeah, we have um we've been working on a EP for we did a decibel of Flexi a couple months ago where we did like a studio version of this song Smash or Be Smash that we did. It was just a live song. It was an unreleased live song on a live record. So we did a studio version of that for the Decibel Flexi which sort of turned itself into a four-song EP that because of pressing delays will come out sometime. I don't know when, <laughs> um, but it will, it will come out uh, probably in, I'm going to say June of 2022, I think at this point, it's been done for a year, close to, <laughs> um, but it's just, yeah, pressing delays are real right now. Understood. Has it been announced? Has the name been announced? Is that, a, is that officially out there yet? Nothing like that yet. Yeah. I mean, it'll, I don't know, as soon as we get a more solid uh, release date, which I believe is June 2022, we'll probably start getting a plan in action of putting a song out there. It's two new songs and then two old songs re-recorded. So, And then, you know, we got the shows coming up. The California Takeover shows were postponed. So they're coming up in May. So we're playing in Buffalo and then two shows in Philadelphia. With Sect, you guys are on Southern Lord, right? Yep. Yeah. And we're actually working on a new record right now. Um, Jimmy, uh, our other guitar player, lives in Raleigh too. So Tuesday nights are our nights. We get together in this very room that I'm sitting in right now and we work on new songs. <laughs> that was one of the first records I've heard in a while where I it, I heard it in the first 30 seconds and I went, I think that's the dude from Converge produced this. <laughs> yeah. Kurt. Like, yeah. It was like immediately I was like, I think this is Kurt from Converge because this is very like God City, very sound. Very yeah, it's awesome the guitar shit. tone. Yeah. I mean, yes. we, we, that was a, it was a conscious effort on our part because, you know, Jimmy is, known for undying and obviously me and earth crisis and Steve played in day of suffering. And they're all very 
metallic metalcore band. So we wanted this to not just be like a A plus B equals C math problem of members. You know, we wanted to kind of stand on its own. So it's got, yeah, it's got a more, a lot more grindcore aspect, you know, to it. So we wanted, we specifically wanted the guitar tone to be something very outside of where we've been previously. I've seen a couple sex shirts and I'm like, wait, I th- at first glance, it looks like um, an infest shirt. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. yes. Well, no, one, one of them was a blatant ripoff of an infest oh, yeah. shirt. Like, yeah, that's yeah, what it was. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Good. I, I, I didn't want to like be like, all right, that seems mean when I say that. But like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, yeah, that's infest, right? Like, oh wait, no, that's another band name. Fuck. All right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And then I, like I was saying, so I have another band tooth and claw that, that uh, I do with um, Daniel, who was in the band Die Young, and uh, Jimmy plays in that as well. It's mainly my stuff, and these guys have been nice enough to to help me with it. It's me and Daniel mainly, and then the other guys are have been nice enough to just you know get on board and play shows whenever that time comes. But yeah, I love that doing that too. That's more you know my style. What 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 just naturally comes out of me musically. So let's recap, folks. We're going to listen to Sect. Yes. Yeah. We're going to listen to Sect. Mm-hmm. We're going to listen to Tooth and Claw. Yeah. Tooth and Claw. Yeah. We're going to listen to the Earth Crisis discography. Yeah. The whole it's thing. It's out there. <laughs> we want to listen to it. We want to embrace a vegan and substance free lifestyle. Oh, but yeah. we do not want to take the lyrics completely seriously. Well, All right? not that they're not serious. It's just, it's, it's, you know, it's it, meaning we don't want to. Yeah. We don't want to be violent or yeah. take it too far. Right. It, we're not saying we're not. It's cathartic expression. We're angry. We're That's saying, what I mean. We're yeah. saying crazy. We're saying crazy stuff. Don't go do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> feel the crazy feelings. Yes. Uh, exactly. em- embrace the crazy feeling of raw dogging life. Right. But do not go out and destroy property or people or <laughs> anything like that. It, well, okay. We'll leave it at that. We can say, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Good enough. Yeah. And uh, we've got the return of the California Takeover live LP that's coming out yeah. November 15th on War Records. We got to pick that up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and um, all the bands are going to have, um, that'll be out digitally on that date as well. So um, every band will be putting up their songs, like uh, the Earth Cri- the four Earth Crisis songs on there will be up on every platform you know Bandcamp, uh apple music itunes spotify all that stuff too on the same date so if, so if you didn't because i think the vinyl may be sold out already i'm not sure so if you didn't get it you can still hear all the songs and stuff on that day so uh what do you do outside of music what are your interests um mostly audio engineering that's like mainly what i do i mean besides playing music and it's it's all music really i mean taking care of my kids that's a big one but yeah, it's it's mostly just very immersed in music. You know, I, I I write a lot of music, and and in the time between taking care of kids and and writing a lot of music, I have been trying to do a lot more audio engineering. So, do you record for other people? Yeah, yeah. Like I just did. Um, well, I mean, I did the Tooth and Claw record, and I did the New Earth Crisis EP that's coming out. But I've also I did uh, Life Force. I just mixed their record that's coming out on New Age. And, um, yeah, and a few other things that I'm not sure can be announced yet, but I've, yeah, I try to stay busy with it. Not as busy as I'd like to be, of course. I really enjoy it. So I'd love to have just projects backed up, but usually it's like, you know, something a month, one one a month I usually get at this point, which I'm not complaining about, but I'd love to have more. <laughs> uh, California Takeover Vinyl 
all sold out. Uh, CDs still available though. Oh, okay. Yeah, the yeah. vinyl. So look, yeah, I, I was just seeing Andrew post, you know, from the War Records site, like how many were left, and it, yeah, at some point, I, I think I noticed they were all gone. So yeah, everything's gone. Everything's gone, with the sole exception of the CD. So you can, if you want it on CD, you can still go grab it. Yeah, if you're from yeah. if you're from ninety five and you want a CD, <laughs> <laughs> we're bringing it back. But I no suppose tapes. What's but up? I, but I suppose we're talking about vinyl too, right? So if you're from the seventies and you want vinyl, you know, it's like. Yeah, CDs are still big over in like Asia, you know, like uh, Japan and places like that. Still moving a lot of CDs. So I saw that there's a couple like like screamo slash grind bands I follow, and I'm like, they're huge in like Indonesia, and yeah. they sell tons of fucking CDs there. Yeah, like, it's, really? it's all yeah, South Asia, Southeast Asia. It's it's almost all CDs. It's yeah. When we get like you know sales reports or whatever from like sect stuff, Southern Lord, he's always like wanted to make cds you know we're like why are you making them but then we see when the sales reports come in it's like all asia like buying cds still so well scott we just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show we really had a great time talking to you and you know you've you've created so much music over the years that that we love and that a lot of people love so thank you for taking the time to speak with us Oh man it was a pleasure i had a great time talking to you guys thank you There you have it, folks. Scott Krause. That was an excellent conversation. We really got into stuff, talking about the history of Earth Crisis. And, you know, my perception of that band is a lot different from what Scott explained. And I found that so interesting because I wasn't into Earth Crisis when I got into hardcore. I, I got into them later. They I just kind of missed them. And my perception was that they were like on top of the hardcore heap. One of the bands at the very top well-respected, tough, had everybody at their disposal. You know what I mean? Tough guys, tough guy, hardcore, all this stuff. But that didn't seem to necessarily be the case, Tommy. No, I actually think, um, and Earth Crisis was one of the first like real hardcore bands I was into. And I think one of the things that came across with that was that perception isn't reality. A lot of us perceive them as being like this real tough guy band. And uh, I think one of the things that kind of nailed it for me was like he was like talking about uh, with Snapcase and and in terms of their merch sales for the night is that people didn't want to associate themselves with Earth Crisis because it came along with this like thought process or ideology of like I'm hardline and he's like no we've actively tried to disassociate ourselves from that like we are not part of this ideology we're not part of hardline but it just it went hand in hand i think that i always when i saw someone with earth crisis stuff on i was like oh great you're gonna hand me a pamphlet (laughs) yeah yeah it was like i explained to scott i thought you had to buy into the whole thing to to be part of the band i guess that was the the mindset at the time like oh if you listen to this you're vegan and straight edge but you're not capable of critical thought as such a young child even when i found uh you know that band sleep yeah i wasn't a big smoke like a weed smoker like but i loved the i like i love the sound i love the aesthetic i loved everything about that band but i would be like yeah i don't get the weed thing like i just it's not my thing but at the same time like when i heard sleep for the first time i was like okay so this is like black sabbath for 2000 five 
Like, this is what I like. I, I love heavy riffs like this. And let's get back to that. Like, and it didn't mean I had to buy into like, let's go roll a joint and listen to this. It's like, no, I can listen to this in my car on the way to work. Yeah. So I get, I just got into some of that stuff later, more of the straight edge stuff. And I, I like Earth Crisis because they're more metallic. It was like Scott said, the only straight edge bands were the youth crew bands. And that's that's never really been my thing. I still don't get it. I've tried to listen to Judge. I've tried to listen to a lot of the, like, especially older New York hardcore. Um, I get Gorilla Biscuits to a certain extent, but yeah, a lot of the other stuff, I'm like, yeah, I, I it, it just doesn't, it doesn't resonate. Like, it doesn't, it's not something I want to, like, as soon as I press play, I'm like, all right, I give it about a minute and a half, and I'm like, all right, something else, let's go. Most of it is like when I listen to classic rock. I'm like, I get it. This is not my generation, though. Yeah. Like I how how could you I came from alternative music and new metal and the metallic hardcore from the late 90s, Cave In, Converge, Dillinger Escape Plan. How could you introduce me to this with Dillinger Escape Plan and then have me listen to, you know, pick whatever band you want? I I can't go backwards, Tommy. I can't do it. It was the same thing with alternative music when I was like, oh, I like Pearl Jam and I like, you know, Nirvana. And somebody was like, here's Sonic Youth. I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> like, it we're, it's a lot of noise. Like, I don't understand what's happening. It was only like later that I listened to it. And I was like, oh, OK. All right. I can see why people are into this. You know, I still have never heard Sonic Youth. I would I would suggest it. It's it's a good decent listen but it's the same time it's like it's the same with i always think of them as the like you know classic rock in general like you can have foreigner and then you can have the velvet underground like music that was produced at roughly the same time and wildly different uh aesthetic and tones and just kind of the message that goes along with it thank you again scott for being on the show that was a great conversation and how are we doing tommy how are we doing what's up with you you good? I'm good. Uh, everybody's healthy. Everybody's happy. Uh, we're all back at school. Uh, major COVID outbreak. Wait, now my- you said we're all back at school. I thought you were at school. Did you leave school and then come back again? Uh, so there was a big COVID outbreak. There's still currently one at my school, but I'm still in school. Um, the majority of the third through fifth grade is not. I see. Yeah. They're quarantining whole classes. So so depending on the COVID situation, classes might be in or out. It sounds like there's a lot of in and out. Yeah, and it's not good for the kids. I'm not happy with it, but at the same time, it is what it is, and I have no control over it. The state laws really govern what we do, so we just kind of have to go with what happens. Like, somebody tests positive, everybody goes home. Have you purchased any secondhand items lately? Yes! I bought new Air Max 95s yesterday, uh, Saturday. From eBay? Yes. Was that to celebrate our, our new venture? It was. Nice. <laughs> yes. It was I like, it. I was like, I have a little bit of extra money. Let's go. That I think that's awesome. Yeah. Saturday, I hung out with a friend. I hung out with, uh, you remember Robert, who was on the show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we hung out. Yeah, we hung out in Tompkins Square Park and fed squirrels. And then I came home and had a nice meal, played some games. It was It was a very relaxing Saturday, which is what I love. It was awesome. Well, I sent you texts of uh, what I did to celebrate. The black uh, and white cookies? Yes, I got black and white cookies. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy got two black and white cookies. He's like, look, I can't get this to you. And I was like, eat them for us, Tommy. Eat them for us. I drank so much milk. It was so disgusting. Like, I felt so sick the next day. Milk is, like, okay with me if I have, like, 
all right, if I have a coffee cup full of milk, I'm okay. But when I drink a big glass full of it, like 16 ounces or more, which I do when I eat sweets, like Oreos or anything like that, my stomach hurts so bad the next day. And I really, I was regretting all Sunday morning. I was like, I feel like I'm hungover from milk. It was so bad. Well, I don't drink milk at all anymore because it's weird. I think it's delicious. I'm sorry. It's weird, dude. If you drink milk, you're weird. I'm with uh, Scott from Earth Crisis. Veganism, straight at... No, I'm no, you're right. not. Scott, all right, <laughs> let me back up. Scott did not say people who drink milk are weird. That's me starting nonsense. Uh, I, think if you, I think if you're an adult and you pour a glass of milk and drink it, that's weird, personally. You know what? I, I'm on board with that, actually. Yeah. I thought it was weird when I did it. Like, I remember pouring it being like, this seems strange, but at the same time, there's that craving that goes along with, like, I'm having something sweet that's cakey and chocolate and vanilla. Like, I I want milk with it. It's just, it just goes hand in hand. (laughs) (laughs) Tommy, do you remember a while ago we talked about songs that we can't listen to anymore because they make us sad? Yes. We talked about songs... That we can't listen to because they make us sad, right? And yours was Explosions in the Sky, Your Hand and Mine. Yeah. Which is one of the best songs. So you can't listen to that at all anymore? I can, but it 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 really does bring up some bad memories, and I try not to. But that, ac- that acoustic part when the, the guitar part comes in is so great. Wait, there's no acoustic in that song? Well, the, I'm sorry. The, when the uh, just singular guitar part comes in. Like when everything stops and just the guitar part comes in at around, I guess it's like five and a half minutes. That's, that's the part for me. And that's what makes me kind of get choked up. Yeah. I, I real I realized I have a couple. One is actually Holy Fawn. Now, Holy Fawn is right on the cusp. It was a band. It became my band with someone else kind of, but I liked them before. So it's not, it's not so far gone that I can't pull it back, Tommy. Okay. But I have to say, seeing them at the show, it was a little—it was a little bit of a bum out because it reminded me of all that stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, so I was like, "Oh man!" But uh, but Holy Fawn can be recovered. But the song "Midnight" by Laffy—it's actually on our 2021 playlist. That one I stay away from. It just makes me too sad. Actually, thinking about it right now is making me sad. Sorry. It also has to do with a relationship thing, and that's as much as I'll say. But listen, on a more positive note, everything is great. The show is going great. I'm jazzed up about it. Life is good. I really got no complaints. Real quick. How are you doing? I just told you. (laughs) I just want to make sure I put it in there so no one goes, Tommy didn't ask fucking how he was doing. Does that happen to you? I've gotten a couple, yeah. But other than that, like I, everything's going well on my end. I'm really glad to hear you're happy. I'm glad you get to spend time with Robert. That's really nice that you guys got to go out to the park. Yeah, that's good. It's our it's our tradition. Well, I texted you on uh, Saturday, and I was like, I'm out at the park, you know, with my daughter playing soccer. And you were like, I'm going outside today. But you kind of cat like your caveat was like, I want to be out too. Not where your daughter's playing soccer though. However, I'm going outside. <laughs> like you were like, all right, yeah. I'm doing this. However, not with you. Just somewhere else. <laughs> well, if you ever come up here and visit, we're going to go to the park with Robert and feed squirrels. And it's going to be the best time you ever had. I'm sure. Yeah. And the pigeons, when we feed the pigeons, they land on us. Oh, okay. I'm in. Yeah. 
I'm pretty that. cool. Yeah. I never knew that this happened. It's, this is all stuff I learned from Robert. That seems like something from, uh, what's that, Home Alone 2? Yeah, that's what I think of when it happens. All right, well, that's it. That's the show. We're out of time. So, folks, we've got another big one coming up. Now, look at the pattern of guests, right? Look at the pattern of guests and see if you can figure out who's next week. Huh? 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 That's all I'm going to say. It's my wife. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) And, folks, one more announcement. This Saturday, the 20th of November at noon Eastern time, will be the premiere of the new scene Twitch account. We have a new Twitch account where I will be doing casual playthroughs of retro and current games. We'll also be doing interviews on there at some point. So please, if you have a Twitch account, follow us at the new scene and tune in this Saturday, November 20th at noon Eastern time for the launch of the new scene Twitch account. It's very exciting stuff. We hope to see you there. Well, that's it for this week. We're back next Monday. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time. Yeah!